0: No, I'm very excited about this next bit. So over the summer, we have um, had a, a slot that we have built in every week where we have been interviewing different members of our church family. And it's been a really beautiful way, actually, of uh, just you guys hearing a little bit more about people's journeys and stories and getting a feel for who they are. Uh, and so this morning, we are going to hear from our lovely Lynn, Lynn Ford, who's going to come up and join us shortly. Uh, and you know, there's something really significant that she's going to share with you guys that um, we had actually tried to work it in, uh, in the past, and it just hasn't quite been the right time, but I have a real sense that this is the right time, and there's something really special to be imparted through what she's going to share with you. Uh, So, Lynn, you come on up, and if you guys just welcome her, that would be fab. There you go. All right. There you go. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Just chill and relax, and it's going to be good. I kind of feel... I feel like we need a sofa and a cup or something just to sit and have a chat here. So, yeah, um, so this is Lynn. And, uh, Lynn, start off just by telling us a little bit about who you are. Go for it. Um, I am Lynn Ford. <laughs> I'm
1: married to Colin, um, who's sitting at the back. We've been married 31 years on the 17th of August. So, we have stuck it rightly. <laughs> <So we laughs> That's a long time. Um, we came to Emmanuel roughly sort of three and a half, four years ago. So you've all stuck us rightly as well. Um, it was through the Connect Cafe that was in McGowan. Um and we just—well, I'm going to say we just happened to be there. We didn't; it was planned. Yeah, definitely. And someone offered me chocolate, so <laughs> I'm in there. <laughs> I always say if you had offered me an apple, nah. <laughs> so it had to be the chocolate. And to say that our lives have been transformed is the understatement of the century. We cannot put into words how thankful we are for this church. So that's pretty
0: much us. Excellent. Can I just say, um, this woman has the most incredible gift of photography. She wouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. So I just want to recognize that there's just a a beautiful creativity on you, Lynn, and it just blows my mind whenever you post up all of your your photographs. I try to take photographs like that, but they just don't look (laughs) anything like yours, so I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so you definitely have that gifting. So now this is the main bit we're going to get stuck into. You have really seen God move, you and Colin, in your lives and in your families in ways that have literally blown your minds. And I would just love you to share with everybody what that's looked like. This is all in
1: connection with Colin's family. Um, And he's not standing here because apparently I talk more than he does. (laughs) So (laughs) um, this looks worse than it is. I just, once I get past my name, my head just goes so I need um, writing in front of me. In March 2020, Colin's dad, Searle, was diagnosed with vascular dementia. Um, that is a very frightening diagnosis, and he was living in a world of hallucinations, quite really bad hallucinations, um, confusion, and at the best vagueness. So he was not a safe man, and that really Playing our minds, and we're just thinking, oh my word, you know, dementia is the worst thing um, for someone who is not saved. But God was there. Um, So that was March 2020. In January 21, Colin's sister Hazel was diagnosed with soft gel cancer. At that time, she was told it was not curable, but they would try to treat it to prolong her life. Again, Hazel wasn't saved. So we're just going, you know, in your human thinking, you're just going, how and under goodness is this going to pan out? But um, Hazel started chemotherapy. China, this is a really condensed version of this all, but um, Hazel started her chemotherapy in about March last year. She didn't want her dad to know that she had cancer because in her mind, I will get my treatment, everything will be fine, and he'll never need to know. But um, coming towards the end of one of the courses of her chemotherapy, she was waiting for her husband to come and bring her home from the hospital because obviously with COVID, she was in hospital on her own. She could have no one with her, which was very, very cruel. So she was going down to all her appointments, um, having to go in there on her own. Her husband was sitting waiting in the car. Um, So she was waiting for him to come back or come and get her from the city hospital. And she phoned us and said something really strange happened today and it's nothing to do with the treatment. Um, She said there was a feeling that came over her and she said the way she could describe it was coming out of a faint. And she said she was adamant this was nothing to do with the treatment. She said she has an absolute sense of peace and well-being and... um, All we could describe it was like a supernatural experience and um, because she was having a pretty good day health-wise other than getting her treatment and she's like, this is nothing, nothing to do with the chemo. So she just felt surrounded by a beautiful presence and this feeling of peace. Now, we firmly believe it was the Holy Spirit ministering to her and when I said this to her, she says, that makes perfect sense. God knows that I would have to feel something that it wouldn't just be head knowledge. He said, I, he knows I would have to feel something. So the lady in the next chair to her, who was getting her treatment as well, just out of the blue, said, do you know, I'm afraid to die. And Hazel turned around and said, well, I'm not. And the lady was quite taken aback by this, and was going like, why are you not afraid to die? And she says, because I know now God will look after me. So um, we went on to have her. We had a, about an hour-long phone call where she was quoting Bible verses at me. <laughs> um, and I mean, she had, if you knew her, she had not a lot of time for anything to do with church or religion. Now, her personality completely changed um, and how she faced a terminal illness. I mean, she was told, been this time last year, palliative care was brought in. So she knew that time was running out for her. But how she faced that, we just many, many times were just standing and shaking our heads, you know, because you can only try to put yourself in that position. Um, And she was so calm, at peace um, with everything. So um, back to Cyril, he was putting medication uh, to try to slow the dementia. It has worked fairly well for him. But we still have the episodes of, you know, the vagueness and um, just the dementia's progressing. But around sort of the beginning of August last year, we were dying and he kept saying, oh, I was talking to Nori Emerson and he's come to see me. Um, But Nori never appeared. So Colin was able to get hold of Nori's telephone number, phone Nori, And Nori says, look, I have not been talking to your dad in years. We reckon... Possibly when Colin's mum passed away, and that was in 2004. So um, he said, look, that's not a problem. I'll come and see your dad. So a few days later, um, he came to see Cyril, and we left him to it. And about an hour later, um, Nori phoned Colin and said, just let you know, your dad's just got saved. So <laughs> you can imagine. I'm a crier as well. So... <laughs> um, so we went down, and I mean, Nori was of the opinion, yes, the dementia was there, but he said, your dad knew what he was doing. He knew, he knows his sins are forgiven, and he's truly saved. So we went down to see Cyril, and just to see what he would say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so we said to him, you know what was Nori here to see you about? Oh, he says, I got saved. Just had something I had to do. So, do you know, in the midst of dementia, God beautifully stepped in. And the picture I get of that is like a master craftsman who painstakingly but gently works on his beautiful creation. And he just make, he just made things perfect now and for eternity. Um, and Cyril and Hazel were able to tell each other uh, that they had got saved. Now, um, Hazel passed away on the 30th of August last year, but in that moment, she was absent from the valley. She's present with the Lord. Cyril um, was able to go to her wake and able to attend her funeral, which was an absolute blessing. Um, He stood at her coffin and he said to her, or said, "Um, this is not the end. We will see each other again. For them, that's true. But it can only be true for us if we have a personal relationship with God. They couldn't save each other, but God mercifully stepped in and saved each of them. And you know the grace, as I just remember at the time, thinking the word that I got was merciful. God was so so merciful to us and to them, and for Colin to have that peace of mind of where his dad and where. Um, will be and where his sister is um, do you know this all sounds so depressing but it's not because it is filled with hope it's filled with grace and it's filled with so much blessings now Cyril's dementia does continue to progress, he's in respite at the minute but do you know it's, it's going to be okay uh, whatever happens and I know Colin got this message I think it was through a song at one stage in a very very dark time it will be okay and whatever you're going through at the minute, it will be okay. God has got this, and he has got you. And it's, I remember seeing a wee post recently, I said, God is the one who makes it well with your soul, even if it's not well with your circumstances. Dementia is a very, very frightening diagnosis, but not where God's concerned. And it might only be the beginning uh, for someone's eternal life. So, you know, at times we say, oh, miracles don't happen these days. Oh, my word, they do. Um, So there's always, always hope.
0: Thank you so much, Lynn. Give her a wee round of applause (laughs) there. You know, it's just so encouraging, isn't it? It's such a a beautiful, beautiful testimony. And um, I just really sense that There are people here who really needed to hear that who maybe have family or friends who don't know jesus and you have just like these guys did you have been really praying and lifting them up to the lord and i just have a sense that there's some people who've maybe got discouraged in that they kind of feel it's never going to happen they're it's just they're they're too hard their circumstances are too hard But uh, I just feel that the Lord wants to really encourage you and say, every prayer you pray is saved up. And uh, don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers when you're praying for people to come to him. For people, there's never too late. It is never too late. So I just feel he wants to release almost a new faith. And uh, almost excitement and hearts about that um, in your own lives. And I also just had a sense that there are are some people here whose children, as they've grown into adulthood, maybe aren't walking with the Lord. And I just feel, again, the Lord saying, give them over to me. Keep, Keep praying over them. Keep praying over them. Never lose hope. Never lose hope. Nothing is too much for God. So I just really want to encourage you in that. But I'm going to pray over Lynn here. So, yes, Jesus, we have been declaring this morning the power of your name. And uh, this testimony of Lynn's, uh, boy, does that demonstrate it beautifully. And, Father, we pray a blessing over Lynn and Colin. Thank you for their faithfulness and caring um, for Hazel and Cyril, Father. And Lord, I thank you so much for how you broke in, how you broke in to the lives of the people they they really care for in their family, that, that they have that certainty in their hearts to know that they will see them again, Father, that you are holding them. And Jesus, yes, we just pray for anyone here who needed to hear that and receive it and to be encouraged this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do what you want to do. Just bless you, Father. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you've done in this family and all that's to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Lynn. Okay, Bruna is going to come and share with us today. Yes, sorry. Sorry, I leave my stuff everywhere. So this is our um, Summer Sam series, which has been super. So I think I know which one you're going to talk on, but I'm not going to spoil it. So uh, let's pray for Bruna, and uh, then I'll hand over to her shortly. Yes, Father, Lord, thank you for, for what you're doing, what you're communicating through this uh, series, where we're really delving deep into your psalms. And Father, I thank you for Bruna. Thank you for her passion for your word. The insight that she gets, the wisdom that you give her, Uh, and Father, I just really pray for an anointing as she shares what you've put in her heart this morning. Thank you, Father. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm kind of surprised
2: to see so many of you out here because I thought, you know, with our great Northern Ireland weather, everybody be away in the van, but. Hey, it is what it is. So I'm going to chat about Psalm 16 today. So Psalm 16 is just such a beautiful psalm and it is believed to be written by King David. And um, a lot of people believe that it was written in a really challenging part of David's life, which kind of, I didn't know what Lynn was going to say this morning. And it kind of feels like perhaps what's going to come through Psalm 16 lines up with that today. Um, but it's believed to be written by David when he was on the run. So I know a lot of you know about David, but I know that some of you might not just be so familiar, so I'm going to kind of condense it into a paragraph, uh, the context in which th- this was written. So Saul was the very first king to be anointed for the nation of Israel. Up until this point, God was their sovereign ruler. They didn't have a king, but they kind of felt the pressure of all of the nations around them having a king. What if we go to war? We need somebody to lead us. And they kind of went on and on so much about it that that the prophet Samuel was told by God to anoint Saul um, as the first ever king of the nation. And unfortunately, over time, Saul's allegiance kind of changed, right? He was totally sold out for God. But then power and that kind of thing got in. And it kind of corrupted him on the inside. And he he just wasn't as much in love with God as what he was when he first began. So then God told Samuel to anoint a young boy called David. and, uh, and, and, And it was because David was one who was close to the heart of the Father. He knew all of the various nuances of what it was to have a relationship with the Lord. But unfortunately, Saul caught wind of this and what happened was those insecurities that were in him they took over and they just completely controlled his life from that point forward and he attempted on more than one occasion to kill david and and he uh, he wanted to kind of remove what he saw as a threat to his reign okay so david kind of had no choice but to go on the run <laughs> And he spent his time kind of dodging Saul around the countryside and in caves, him and his 400 men, right? So he was, he was avoiding Saul and his 4,000 soldiers. I imagine it was kind of stressful. I imagine there, <laughs> it wasn't a very pleasant circumstance to find himself in. And David, having, having never done anything wrong and having never tried to push Saul out of the way. Found himself living in this daily reality of the pressure of constant pursuit and threat on his life. I think, I think it's fair to say that that was kind of stressful. It might have been quite challenging. And so, Psalm 16 that we're going to look at this morning was kind of born out of this period in David's life where he was constantly under pressure, fearing for his life, and in a lot of ways, he had no place to kind of settle and, and call home. He had no secure place to rest his head. So, we're going to read Psalm 16 together. Now, It's going to be on the screen. If you would like to, uh, if you're comfortable doing it, it's okay to close your eyes and maybe let this go in, but you don't have to do that. So here's the first part of it. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people here in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion, my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise The Lord, he counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I love this Sam. That's why I kind of picked this one this morning, because God spoke really profoundly to Stephen and I right back in the early stages of our marriage when we were away. And um, and while I don't have time to get into that story this morning... um, i want you to know that the circumstances in which it happened god we were both we were not together but god spoke to us from exactly the same verses at exactly the same time about exactly the same issue that we were both considering and when we came back together again we just got (laughs) this beautiful glimpse into how god shows his grace and how he prophetically speaks and it was a pretty big circumstance that he was speaking into But what I really love about this psalm as we read it is that we can see some disciplines emerge that uh, David employed in his own daily relationship with God. And while it feels like 20 minutes isn't really time to do this psalm justice, I want to get across, hopefully, what I feel God wants to say this morning. So it all starts off in verses 1 and 2 with David just being really honest, okay? He's just real about where he's at. He says, keep me safe, keep me safe. My God. It doesn't start off with God, you're so holy. I worship you and all of your majesty. He's just, he just says what's in him. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And while it might seem like a really obvious thing to do when we come to spend time with Jesus, Do you ever kind of feel like sometimes you kind of brush over where you're at and then you pray for your list of like all the people and their problems that they have and their big toe and all the rest of it, okay? But what David did here is he he was just honest. He just started with where he was at because he understood the heart of the Father was about relationship. God actually cared about how David felt. And he was comfortable bringing the stuff that was inside him out into the light to be processed. Don't forget he was in trouble. He was living a life on the run. It was intense. And he had no place to take refuge but in God. And sometimes for us, it's just important to admit where we're at, isn't it? With the stuff that we're struggling with. Because it's out of that honesty that David David was able to remind himself or encourage himself, sometimes we say in church, of whose care, of whose care that he was under in this season. And so in this honesty and in this plea for safekeeping, David places himself into the ultimate place of security because a place of refuge is where you run if you're feeling like your life is under threat. It's safe there. And then he almost uses his own voice. He says, I say to the Lord that you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And it's almost like he knew the power. He knew the influence of speaking out that truth so that he could then hear it again, despite, like, let's actually think about this, like his emotions and the fear that he would have been living with would have been screaming at him, okay? And so despite those things, he spoke out what he knew to be true. He chose to come into alignment with the goodness of God rather than with the torment of his reality, And in doing that, David was not just speaking to God, but he was kind of also speaking to himself. And so I think the first discipline that David employs in these first couple of verses are he acknowledges his need, but he looks up, okay? He takes his eyes off what's happening around him, and he looks up to see who is actually in control. And then in verse 3, he says, I say of the holy people here in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. You see, the next thing that David does here is he reminds his own heart that it's actually not just all about him. Like the circumstances that he were in were dire, right? But it wasn't just all about him. He finds delight in the people of God. Boyce, I don't have this quote on the screen, but he says this. It's so simple, but it's brilliant. He says, those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love him. If you really love Jesus, you'll wanna be in church with the people who love him too. And I think if you wanna do like a litmus test, do you remember that in secondary school when you were tested for? If you wanna do like a litmus test on your heart and the condition of it, I think it's really good to pay attention to how you feel about church. Because David understands the reality of deep, calling out to deep, and he delights in those people who are like-minded around him. He doesn't just tolerate them. He doesn't just sort of roll his eyes and go, oh, to church again. I'm sick to see them in the corner. Do you hear what they're... That's not where David's at, right? He delights in the people because he knew that these are the people that he was going to lead, that they were going to carry this vision together. And so I think the second discipline that David employs in his life, despite his circumstances, he looks out. And he realized that he was only one part of a much bigger story and that everything that was happening was about so much more than just him. Now, that's hard when your life is, is tricky. But David was able to do it when he was on the run and when there was a threat on his life. And then in verse four, it says, he says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations to such gods or take up their names on my lips. So the culture, as a lot of you will know at this time, it was full of idol worship. And uh, so many people were distracted by this false notion of of trying to please gods and earn their favor. And they engaged in some really kind of disturbing practices to do with idol worship. And, And our God's not like that. We don't need to earn his favor. He just loves you doesn't matter what you do. He just loves you. And David realized how important it was not to get drawn into the way that everybody else was doing it, but that the faith-filled life is an alternative. And actually, very often, it's a very unpopular way of living. But it's. As followers of Jesus, we don't need to respond to trouble and calamity the way that the world does. And so I think the third discipline that uh, David employs here, that he's looking beyond what is normal. He's looking beyond the norm or he's seeing it from a different point of view. He's seeing what's happening to him through the eyes of heaven. And these first three disciplines, I think, lead David to this place where he just gets this revelation in verses 5 and 6. Because he says this, and this is our verse, and I love this. He says, Lord... You alone, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You see, those first three disciplines that David was employing allowed him, or they were kind of like a car that he could jump into to bring him to this destination where he got a whole new perspective, right? He was on the run. And he didn't have any kind of material or physical place to call home in the Old Testament. That's, we can use the word lot for that. So when he's talking about a lot here, that's what he means. Plus, he was also the youngest of like a long line of brothers. So he was never going to get an inheritance from his father either. Okay? So it was nothing to do with like material stuff. What was it that he meant? Well, what's really interesting is when you look back into the Old Testament and um, further back into it, all of the various tribes of Israel, when they went into the promised land, they all received a portion or a lot of land for their tribe, apart from the priests and Levites, okay? All the other tribes got it, but they didn't. And God says to them in Numbers 18:20, God told them, he says, I am your portion and your inheritance. That's what God says to them. And so David gets this revelation. I suspect because of what he's already done, that God alone is the best inheritance that he's going to get. And so he wasn't striving for material gain. He was confident, completely confident in the inheritance that he would get from God because it was secure and it was pleasant and it was delightful. And it was more than enough because what he was ultimately pursuing was God's heart. That was his inheritance. That was his portion and his lot. And so the fourth discipline that I think David pulls in here is he looks at his life. He looks at everything that's happening from an eternal perspective. He saw his life through the eyes of heaven. And don't forget that Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, verse 29, he says, If anyone leaves their houses, family or land for me, I will be good to them. That's what Jesus says. I will be good to them in this life. And their inheritance will be life that never finishes. That's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart. And I believe, actually, that these verses are really poignant for us as a church. And whilst it's wonderful that we have a home that we're going to, okay, while it's great that we have that, our inheritance is Jesus. Our inheritance isn't the toy master building our inheritance is Jesus and we must never ever take our eyes off that we have to try and keep us our focus and view all of the people and the resources and the ministries that come through that building and maybe even go out of it again from an internal perspective okay so uh, with these disciplines in place that, that David has already used, right? It leads him from kind of this initial place of vulnerability to this transformed understanding. And we see in verses seven and eight then, I will praise the Lord. That's what he says. He said He's, he's re- reached this kind of point where he's like, I'm just going to praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You see, David's only response in his circumstances is to praise the Lord. That's what he decides is the most important thing to do. So his responsibility was to adopt this heart posture of worship in spite of everything that was happening around him. And then God's responsibility in that was to counsel and give him wisdom and lead him through those troubling times. And so David's first priority in life was keeping his vision focused solely on the Lord. And again, I think it was probably more of a choice that he had to make and a discipline that he had to employ in his life rather than a feeling that he felt he should do. And it was from this place of worship that David's confidence grew of knowing deep inside that God was with his soul focused that he would not be shaken. Like a man, like, You know, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, oh, yeah, that happened. But like really the reality of what David was engaging with every day would have been frightening. But then he can say confidently that he would not be shaken. (laughs) He would not be shaken. And regardless of what Saul or any other enemy of David was going to throw at him, David knew where he stood. And so the fifth discipline that I think that he employs here, because he placed God where he was always meant to be, right? He looks at his circumstances with renewed vision. And I picture this. I think the best way to describe it is it's like kind of like a flow from David's heart up to the heart of the father. And then from the father back down again to change and transform what was going on in, in David. Because the psalm began with like this request to keep him safe. Do you remember that? But his confidence grows in God through these disciplines and his heart gets changed and he knows that he stands on the rock. And so in a lot of things in our life, Discipline precedes transformation. Sometimes we want the easy road, don't we? I I do, right? I want things to happen quickly. I'm just going to be honest about that. And sometimes we just want God to do something in our hearts. But actually, sometimes we just need to put disciplines in place, which bring us to that revelation and that place of transformation. And so, with all of these disciplines in place and being secure in the knowledge that he's not going to be shaken, in verse 9, this is where he comes to, he says, "'Therefore.'" my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will rest rest he's on the run and his body's going to rest secure he's encouraged himself in the lord so much and his faith has grown so deeply through these disciplines that he gets a glad heart like he gets a glad heart when somebody's trying to kill him (laughs) he was no longer swayed and under the control of his circumstances or how he felt about it, okay, no matter how much fear was creeping in and how his emotions were taken over, that it brought this beautiful release and joy into his heart because he knew that those things weren't what was true. And as he continued to worship, his physical body was now in this place of secure rest. And so the anxious, worried David that we see right at the very beginning of the psalm has journeyed. He's journeyed in relationship with his heavenly father through his issues. And with his help, he can now look at his life in a whole new way. Nothing in his circumstances has changed. Saul's still pursuing him, but David has changed. And so the sixth discipline that I think that David, uh, when he's living in this like illuminated awareness of who God is and all that he can do, and he's completely secure while he's on the run, David looks back inward at himself again, and he applies the truth of that to himself. He acknowledges everything that God has done. And so then we get to verse 10, and he says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see the king. Like, there's so much of this psalm that's messianic, and there's so much more that I wanted to bring out of it, and I had to really rein it back in because uh, it's just too much of a temptation to keep going. But David believed that God had declared over his life he had, sorry, he believed what God had declared over his life. He was completely confident in the calling that God had for him. He could stand firm on the truth that what God said would happen and that he would see him through. And so I think the seventh discipline is that he looks forward with faith. He takes his eyes off everything that's happening around him and he looks forward with faith. He doesn't let his reality negate the promises that God has declared over him. And look at the faithful declaration that he arrives at when he has followed all of these disciplines in verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Like, like what a transformation. What a staggeringly different outlook David got. Now. He arrived at this like dynamic conclusion that it's only only in God's presence that we can understand and experience fullness of joy when everything else around us has fallen apart. Not just a smidgen, not just a wee tiny bit, but fullness of joy. And as a wee side, well, we know that, and and David probably, you know, had a little bit of revelation about this, but we know that Jesus sits at God's right hand, (laughs) and eternal pleasures are at God's right hand. And so in Jesus, we get pleasures that are never going to perish. And so as I bring this to a close this morning, I want to leave you with this. I I just believe this was like a wee nugget. We were sitting in Liverpool ready to board the boat. And Stephen's my sounding board when any time I'm speaking. And so I was giving him a quick rundown of what we were going to be talking about. And I just got this line. And so if you take anything away from this morning, I'd love it to be this. David could choose to wallow. Okay, he could choose to wallow or he could choose to worship. That kind of sums this whole psalm up. And that's hard. And I'm not saying that to kind of brush over any stuff that we've got going on in our lives, right? Because this is something I've had to learn to do a lot in my own life. Naturally, I kind of melancholic personality. I'm a little bit introverted. And so sometimes, you know, I can be a wee bit like why did they say that and what do they mean? And I overthink, right, and get myself into a silly position, right? But I have learned this discipline actually gets me back out of, the get, back out of that again and teaches me actually what's true, that what I feel, <laughs> what I feel isn't always the truth, okay? And so hopefully you hear this bit with grace. And like I say, I'm not kind of trying to take any value or any, um, make light of anybody's circumstances, I think it's what I'm trying to say. But sometimes we can get comfortable lounging in all of the tough times that we're going through. But I actually think that what God does is he gives us an invitation to climb out of it and get his presence instead. Okay? And that's where we get joy. That's where we get joy. And so the eighth discipline that I think David uses is here he sees the ultimate reward and that's what spurs him on. And that's what shifts his reality. And I think I need to say this just before I close off. I'm not talking about mental health issues here, okay? And if you're somebody here who needs medication and you're somebody who needs professional input, absolutely you get those things, okay? But you know what? We all have tough times, don't we? We all have days that just aren't working out the way we want them to. And I think we can learn something beautiful from Psalm 16. It's who we invite into those circumstances and into those times that makes a difference as to how we navigate them. And the entire tone of this Psalm, it isn't despair and it isn't complaint. It's just kind of like a surrendered, settled joy. And so this morning, as I've been thinking about you all and praying for you and thinking about what I felt like God wanted to say, I just kind of wondered if there were some people who were maybe struggling with like a sense of foreboding. And foreboding is just where you just feel like something is coming that just doesn't feel right, that something is coming that um, is going to be bad. That's what foreboding means. And I wondered, was there anybody here this morning who was struggling with that, Perhaps you feel like you're being tormented about a mistake that you've made in the past. Perhaps you feel like something that you've said or done has been misinterpreted and the whole thing is blown completely out of proportion. Maybe you just feel like the enemy's coming at you from every angle. Well, today, this is your psalm. This is your psalm today. And I'd love to pray for you. And we know, you know that we have a ministry team, prayer ministry team. and um, There'll be someone with a lanyard up here. And if you feel like... Um, that that you are struggling with that or even anything else, we would love to pray for you this morning. So let's pray. God, we're just so grateful that we can take refuge in you today, and we don't take that for granted for a minute. But would you give us the strength this morning to lift up our eyes and see the reality of who you are? And more than that, God, would you help us to look out and see that it's about more than just us? God, we don't want to be people who are conformed to the way that the world does stuff, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to see our circumstances through the eyes of heaven. And so Jesus, this morning, would you renew our vision? Would you help us to apply this truth to our own hearts? Would you help us to look forward and to see you? And we pray for anybody this morning who is really struggling with this sense of foreboding, God, or anything else. <laughs> anything else. God, we bring those things out into the light this morning, and we ask that you would minister, and that you would fill up that space within us where those places, those things have been taken up place. And we pray that, um, that you would cover them, God, that your love would minister to them, that your grace would be, just show your kindness to them, God. But we also say that they are chosen, that they are accepted children of Jesus this morning. And we speak his name over any plan of the enemy to try and take, <laughs> take anybody down in here today. We claim his blood over people's hearts and over people's lives, over people's minds. And we stand as a church, as a body together, in unity, God, to help protect those people here maybe struggling at the moment, God. We just bring them into the middle of the circle <laughs> and we take our place around the outside and we ask that you would speak right into their circumstances and bring your truth right into their hearts this morning in Jesus name. Amen.